0: Good to see everybody. And I had a question for you. What is grace? That's an easy thing to define, right? Grace. Who, who can give me just the, the technical definition? Many of you have been in church long enough, you can tell me the definition of grace, right? What was that? Unmerited favor. Unmerited favor unearned, unmerited, undeserved favor from God. You know, I know that that's the right definition, but somehow I think it just sells short what God has actually done. And that's what we're going to look at this week. God has given us excessive grace. And when I say excessive, I mean to the point of ridiculous excessive Have you ever heard if anything's worth doing, it's worth overdoing? Well, that's exactly what God has done when it comes to grace. He wanted to show us grace, but he didn't want to just, you know, give us the bare minimum. He didn't want us to just be forgiven. I mean, think about if we're going to talk grace and what God has done that we don't deserve, unmerited, unearned favor, the favor of God, meaning he looks on us with joy. He looks on us to give gifts with favor. That, that when, when your name comes to his mind, he smiles. Don't you like that visual? That when your name comes to God's mind, he smiles. And he thinks, I'm going to blow them away with what I'm going to do for them. I'm going to give them so much. That they won't even be able to understand it. And we saw that last week. What does it say? It says that he blessed us with every spiritual blessing. In the heavenly realms. Now if that isn't. Maybe a better definition of God's grace. Than unmerited favor. He blessed us with every spiritual blessing. In the heavenly realms. Every spiritual blessing. You see. Grace is how God operates. And I remember in my own life when I was struggling through some legalistic tendencies and and just a kind of a legalistic understanding of the faith, and I was reading Galatians, and God freed me from that and showed me that I'm not going to add anything to God's perfection that he accomplished in Christ, that my performance wasn't going to make God love me anymore, that I wasn't earning any more grace or any more favor with God Because Jesus did it all for me, and I remember when that freed me, and God started me on a journey of grace. I was able to lay that down, and what I picked up in place of it was really learning to go through Scripture and look at it through the eyes of, of God's grace and what He has given us. And when we stop looking at God through the eyes of performance, trying to measure up, Trying to be good. Trying, 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 trying. And we start looking at it through the lens of what God has given, and given, and given, and continued to give. I'm going to tell you things change in your life. They change in your heart. They change in your mind. And so if we have all of these blessings from God, how did God accomplish that? Well, he did it through his grace, and he did it through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so today, we're going to look in Ephesians 1, 7 through 10, continuing the one long sentence that began in in, in verse 3, we're going to look at 7 through 10, and it says, In him, of course, that's Jesus Christ, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now I love this because our basic heading for this section is just God has given us grace but I just don't think that the English language does justice to some, sometimes to the enormity of what God has done. See, God's will for his people is that we should be holy and blameless before him as adopted sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. Adopted. You know, one of the great things about adoption is that you are chosen. They chose you. And God says, I want whosoever will believe to be adopted as my child. And to enter into his household with all the rights and privileges thereof, to be a son or daughter of the king. But there was a price to adoption. And what was that price? To be holy and blameless before him as his children. That is the price. The only way that's accomplished is for sins to be forgiven. And forgiveness comes at a price. So Paul says, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. In him we have redemption. What is redemption? It is purchased freedom from bondage. Purchased freedom from bondage. Meaning we were a slave to sin. We were a slave to its power, which the the wages of sin is death. We were a slave to that. And we were purchased out of it by the blood of Jesus Christ. And do not forget, Paul specifically mentions through his blood, because it took a blood sacrifice to purchase us. Life for life. But what God did was perfect life for sinful life. Jesus Christ lived a perfect sinless life on our behalf so that his death would be effective and would pay the price for our sins so that we could be purchased, redeemed, out of slavery and into life as a child of God. Book of Colossians says that he has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his son. Transferred us. Now, here's the great thing about this. Redemption is not just something to be hoped for in the future. It's a present reality. We have been purchased. If you have been born again, if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, then you are a new creation. You were purchased. You were redeemed, and you are now in a new standing before God. You are not what you once were. You are no longer the person that you were before that. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. And while in this life we may not see all of that, we won't see all of that, we're not going to understand that, trust me, when we get to heaven, one day you're going to look back and realize something started the day you were born again. And it just continued to grow and continued to develop and continued to become all the way until you were glorified in heaven in the presence of God. And you will recognize that work as starting the day of your salvation. You see, the first need, Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones put it this way he says, the first need of every sinner is not help and power to overcome sin and temptation see when we turn christianity into a moralistic enterprise then it's about being a good person and so we focus god make me better make me better make me better that doesn't fit with what paul said because what does he say he says he's already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms we already have it all so why are we praying for more of something that he's already given us And so he says, the first need of every sinner is not help and power to overcome sin and temptation, but that his sin should be dealt with and that he should be delivered from condemnation and from the wrath that is upon him. Our need is not to become better people. Our need is to go from death to life. We need redemption, and that is exactly what God has given us. See, redemption is, is more than just, hey, okay, I'm going to overlook your sins. It's a change in status. It is a change in who we are. It is a change in the very being of our nature. And so those who are born again are free from the power of sin and death. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, the power of sin is enslavement. He who sins is a slave to sin. And by slave, meaning we not that we, we can't control ourselves, but that it has hold of us we could do nothing to get away from it on our own. Once Adam and Eve sinned, all of humanity fell under the curse of sin and became slaves to sin. Meaning there is nothing we can do in ourselves to break sin's hold over us. And God told Adam and Eve, when you sin, if you eat from that tree, you will die. You see, the power of of sin is enslavement, and the, the wages of sin is death, and the power of death is its permanence. That's why we fear death. That's why we look at death, because we know it's permanent. Once you die, you're dead. Except Jesus changed that. What did Jesus do? Jesus paid the price of death, and then on the third day said, "Now I'm done with this. Price is paid, And he got up and walked out of the tomb. Now nobody else has ever done that. Under their own power. Now Jesus raised people from the dead. There are old prophets that raised people, you know, whatever. But there's nobody that did it under their own power and said, okay, I'm done being dead. And they got up and walked out of the tomb. And so in doing that. We are now, for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, we are no longer slaves to sin and death, and we will live forever. That's the redemption that we have. That is the good news. You see, in John eleven twenty five 25-26, Jesus gave us a glimpse of this, and he let us know exactly how this was going to work. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die yet shall he live. You see, he didn't say that, oh, believe in me and and death will just completely disappear. He says, no, though you die, yet you will live. Death won't have the final say. Your existence will not stop. And he says, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. See, that is the redemption we have in that. Was purchased through his blood. Death will happen, but does not have the final say for those who have faith in Jesus Christ. And so, what does Paul say again? He says, We have the the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. I love that phrase that he lavished upon us, his grace. You see, God wasn't again looking at just the minimum. God wanted to show off. And I mean that. He wanted to show off with His grace. He wanted to show us His power. He wanted to show us His goodness. He wanted to show us His love. He wanted to show us His grace in all of its glory. And so that's why Paul starts this letter with, You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. We have to understand the entire letter of Ephesians through that statement because that's how we reach higher. That's how we get beyond just our, our kind of understanding of things in a limited fashion or scarcity that maybe there's not enough or maybe I need to be better and God will love me more. He starts out by telling us what is grace? It is the fact that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, everything. He has held nothing back. And so now Paul describes that grace as having been lavished upon us. See, one of the truths that we should come away from Ephesians with is the abundance that God has shown us. That's why this series is entitled Reaching Higher, because it should elevate our thinking not just to, to, okay, God has done great things, but to, well, wait a minute, God's operating at a whole different level here, and He has called us into it. Paul isn't trying to convince us of the bare minimums. He isn't saying, oh, please, just, just believe that God exists. Just, just if you'll just believe that, that'll be enough. You know, if you ever noticed there are two ways to motivate people in this world? There's really only two. Fear and promise, right? Fear and promise. Now, I could motivate you by making you afraid. That will motivate you to a degree. But how long does fear last as a motivator? Only so long as the threat is real. That's it. If if you're standing in the street and I yell at you because a bus is coming at you and you see that bus, fear is going to motivate you to move. But that fear will end as soon as the bus passes. But if I really want to motivate you, promise is the better way. Because I can paint a picture of something that is extraordinary. And if I can convince you of that, that it's extraordinary. And if you just give yourself to it and just move into it. Then an amazing things are going to happen. And, and you can catch that glimpse and, and that encouragement in your heart. Well, you could ride that wave for a long time. So long as you believe that it's, that it's there. That there's a good reason for it. That you're doing a good thing and that it's worth it. And so that's what Paul, he's not trying to just give us the minimum here of, hey, believe in God, because if you don't, you you might end up in in hell for eternity. See, I find it interesting that Paul doesn't even really mention that in Ephesians. Is it a reality? Yeah, but he doesn't go there because he says, look, I want you to think the highest you can possibly think about God. I don't want to motivate you through fear. I want to motivate you through promise, and I want to show you what God has done. And so what does he do? He starts out and says, you have every blessing that you could possibly receive in Christ. God has already given it to you. And so now Paul is trying to inspire us with the greatest truths we will ever know. This is where I get a little pumped up about Ephesians because as you read this, you see God is, Paul is calling us to a new place of thinking. And it's all rooted in Jesus Christ. It is all rooted in the foundation of what is true. But he says, look, this foundation will hold the highest structure you could think of. This foundation is worthy to hold the highest thing that can be built upon it. And so he's trying to inspire us with the greatest truths we'll ever know. God didn't just give us a glimpse of grace. What does Paul say? He says he lavished it on us. He lavished it on us. To lavish, what is that? It is to spend or to give more than is necessary. See, most of the time we use that in a uh, in a negative sense, right? They spent lavishly. What does that mean? That meant that they spent way more money than they needed to spend. In fact, they did it at a level that they're what? They're showing off. Look how much money I have. I spent lavishly on all this stuff, you know, when it was completely unnecessary. But God. Paul takes that word and uses it in reference to God's grace, that he lavished his grace on us. So that means that there is so much that God could have withheld and it still would have been effective to get us to heaven. But God's like, no, 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 this this isn't just about getting to heaven. This is about more. This is about so much more. And and so in the Greek, this means a combination of excessive abundance. Abundance. Excessive abundance, like God is just, just heaping grace upon us after grace, after grace. He just wants us to see the enormity of it. This is who he is. How, what does that tell us about God's heart? Because we're talking about grace. We're not talking about God in heaven saying, hey, look how awesome I am. He's saying, look how awesome I'm blessing you. I want you to receive this. I want you to receive it. I want you to be blessed through this. Have you ever been to somebody's house where they lavished food upon you? You know, and you're like, no, I'm full. And they're like, no, here, have some more. My pastor I grew up with, that is one of his favorite things in the world was to feed people. And I mean that. It was his favorite. You would show up, and you're eating something before you leave. It didn't matter if you're just there for five minutes. He's going to get in the fridge. He's like, ooh, you want this? You want here? Have some of this. You're going to eat. And it's not going to just be a little bit. You're like, I'm so full right now. I can't eat anymore. He goes, hey, do you want to go get some ice cream? Let's go. I mean, he would. That's just what he did. And he, he had joy in doing it. And that's just, I get this picture of God with his grace that we're like, God, you have given your son and you have done this. It is so much. He's like, oh, yeah, there's more. Here. Here, check this out. Check this out. Read Revelation. You get a new name. I'm going to give you a new name. And and hey, I'm going to give you a kingdom that you're going to be a part of. It's going to be our kingdom. I'm going to be there with you the whole time. And there's not going to be a sun or a moon because I'm going to be the light. What do you think of that? I'm going to be with you. And God just continually lavishes this grace on us. And so literally God is showing off through the abundance of grace that he has given us. And for us to think higher... What this does to us is we have a scarcity mindset in this world. We really do. And I can prove it. We have a scarcity mindset, which means we can have all the things in the world. What are we going to focus on? The thing we don't have. It's just what we're going to do. And that's what Ephesians is like, no, stop doing that. Don't think about, because God's given you everything. You're not lacking anything. Walk in that abundance. Because one of the tactics, of the, the main tactic of the enemy is to get him to doubt God's abundance. And when he gets us to doubt God's abundance, we doubt his goodness, we doubt his love for us, we doubt what he's given us, we doubt all of it. And you know, I know this is true because Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden where everything was amazing. God came down and was with them, talked with them in the cool of the day, and Satan shows up and says what? Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? See how exaggerated that is? He's planting the idea of scarcity, that somehow God has withheld what is good. And Eve says, oh, no, no, we're free to eat from any tree except for that one. He's like, oh, that one. Yeah, that's because God knows you'll be like him when you eat from that one. Scarcity. Scarcity. God has withheld something. Did God withhold anything? No, he told them the truth. You eat from that tree, you'll die. He spoke the truth to them. But the instant they took a scarcity mindset, they began to doubt God's abundance and his goodness. And Satan will do the exact same thing with us today. He will convince us that we are missing all kinds of things When Paul says what? You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Which one is it? Am I missing something or am I blessed? I have to make the decision. Do I believe the truth or do I believe the lie? And our world operates on scarcity. You turn on the news, there's always something that's, you know, run out. Something's not going to work. Overpopulation. I mean, it's just everything. Everything that that we are told in this world operates off of the principle of scarcity. When God operates through abundance. And we have to make the choice. And so, if it's not about just the bare minimum, If we want to get away from scarcity thinking and bare minimums, then the question, what do I have to do etern- to inherit eternal life? That's a bare minimum question. If we think about it, hey, what do I have to do to get into heaven? Just, just give me the nuts and bolts. What is that? that's, that's minimal thinking. You know, just give me the, the checklist so I can make sure I've checked them off and, and we're good. That is minimalistic thinking the question also hey is it sin to fill in the blank that's minimalistic scarcity thinking hey i'm just i want to know where the line is so i can you know so i can still feel good about myself thinking of the baseline of what we can get away with when the real question should be why am i not living in the abundance of spiritual truth and blessings that god has provided what is holding me back from experiencing every bit of God's blessing in this life? You see, that's not scarcity thinking. That's realistic thinking of like, okay, wait a minute. If God has genuinely blessed me with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, if I have redemption and my sins are forgiven and all of that has been taken care of, then what is stopping me from experiencing more of God? Because clearly God has done His part, so why am I not walking in it better? Probably it is me. There's something in my heart that is out of step with God. It's not that God is withheld. It's that I'm not grabbing hold. It's that I'm not enjoying what God has done. And so we have to change our thinking to how do I best glorify God? If I think of it in those terms, how do I best glorify God? we'll get out of minimalistic thinking regarding God and we'll start thinking big. Hey, if I have a skill, I want to use it for God. I want to build His kingdom. Hey, if, if I've been given grace, then I want to give grace. And God, I want to walk in grace so I can give it to other people. God, if You've given me Your Word, then I want to know the deep things of truth because You've given it to me and I want to know it. And when we change that scarcity thinking into abundance thinking of like there is, there's so much there, There's always more. And and by always more, I don't mean a performance thing. Like there's just always more to experience with God. And it's always good. Isn't that amazing to know? Like there's always more. And the more I experience, the better it's going to be. The more I experience, the closer to God I'm going to be. And the closer to God I am, the more grace I experience. And the more love I experience. and, And the more it transforms me. And not ever in condemnation. Not ever in guilt and shame but always through grace. And then he says he did it in all wisdom and insight. He lavished his grace upon us through all wisdom and insight. God knows you better than you know yourself. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And when he gives us his grace, he knows how to apply it perfectly. You see, God knows our needs better than we do, and he knows how to apply his grace to us better than we know how to appropriate it to ourselves. God's grace is perfectly applied in all wisdom and insight, meaning God has perfectly redeemed, perfectly forgiven, and perfectly blessed us to accomplish his purposes of being holy and blameless before him. God has left nothing to chance. And he did all this through Christ alone. Grace is found in Christ alone. I cannot overemphasize this. Okay. He tells us in Ephesians 1.9. Making known to us the mystery of his will. According to his purpose. Which he set forth in Christ. If you want to know the love of God. You want to know the power of God. You want to know God at all. You must go through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. And the world doesn't like that. They say, well, I know God. And I say, no, you know a figment of your imagination and an idol that you call God. The only way to know God is to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And the reason is because he makes known the mystery of his will. God reveals who he is and what his plan has been That's all according to his purpose, but he only set it forth in Christ Jesus. You will not find the revelation of God anywhere else. Anywhere else. That's why Jesus showed up, and when he was on earth, he told the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have life. You see, they believe that the scriptures made them holy. And he says, no, the scriptures, they testify to me. They testify to me. It is only in Christ. And so we literally in Ephesians get a location for God's grace, and that is Jesus Christ. We must go through Jesus to experience any of the spiritual blessings that Paul has already described. Any of them. In Christ, we have all the spiritual blessings that could be possibly given. Outside of Christ, we have none of them. In Christ, we have life. Apart from Christ, we have no life. And so there is no spiritual power. There is no spiritual truth. There is no spiritual wisdom. And you will not know the genuine love of God outside of Jesus Christ. And people say, well, I I thought you said God loves everyone. He does. But he made that love available only through Christ. Only through Jesus And so when a person is crying out to God, if they're not willing to come to Jesus in faith, they won't experience the love of God in their life that is life-changing. They won't experience it. And Paul calls this a mystery that has been revealed. See, we talked last week about this has been God's plan from the beginning, and here it's described as the mystery of His will. You see, the mystery is that God kept parts of his plan hidden until the fullness of time had come. What was that mystery? We're going to find out later in Ephesians, but I'll I'll give you a, a, a synopsis of it now. The mystery was that the Messiah, the Christ, the chosen one, would also be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and that both Jew and Gentile, all of creation, all people in creation would benefit by it equally through faith. That was the mystery. And he made it known we live in a privileged time where we get to know the mystery of it. Because how do I know this? Listen to 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. It says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So let me summarize all that about what he says in the Old Testament is the prophets were desperately trying to figure out what God was saying. And God's telling them it's not about you, it's about those that will believe later. And what were they doing? They were pointing to Christ. And they're like, who is this person? When's it going to happen? And God didn't tell them when. He gave bits and pieces, but he didn't tell the prophets, oh, his name's going to be Jesus and he's going to be born in the first century. And right here in in this place, in these conditions, he just gave bits and pieces of it here and there in different ways. It was a plan that God kept hidden even from the angels. Let me say that again. It was a plan that God kept hidden even from the angels. Notice what it says. It says, Who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. See, it kind of makes it make sense then when the Christ was born and all of the angels like that appeared in heaven because they're like, It happened! They'd been longing to look into this since eternity past. They knew God was working this plan, but they didn't even know what it was. They knew it was coming, but even they were longing to, like, God, what are you doing? How is this working? And when it happened, they cried out, and they rejoiced at what God had done. And so it's a plan that he kept hidden even from the angels until it was time. He revealed parts of the mystery at different times and different ways through different people so that it would not be fully known until Jesus himself revealed it through the cross and through the day of Pentecost. All the way up until even after his resurrection, they were still wondering, what is going on? It wasn't until you get to Acts chapter 2 and the Holy Spirit falls on them that suddenly it all makes sense. And suddenly Peter's able to go to the book of Joel and go, oh, look at that. There it is. He talks about the Messiah. I'll go preach to people and 3,000 people will be saved. See, they went from not understanding anything to suddenly understanding everything. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was given. And the plan was made known. And that's where we live now, that the plan has been made known. And so Paul is now setting up a theme that will run through Ephesians of unity in Christ. This mystery of his will that's been made known is going to deal with with Old Testament times and with the the plan coming into fruition that the mystery's been revealed and that, that Israel and the Gentiles have been put together in one new family, the body of Christ. And that there is one people of God. One people made up of all nations of the earth, united in Jesus Christ. In Acts 4, 11 through 12, it says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. God's plan for all eternity centered on one man, Jesus Christ. And it is only through him that we can know the love, the power, the presence, and the blessings of God. It is only through him. And this is why Paul repeatedly uses the phrase, in him, throughout Ephesians. Because that's what he's talking about. In him, we have redemption. Apart from him, we have nothing. God loves the world, but the world is only going to know the love of God by putting its faith in Jesus Christ. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm, but we only receive those blessings by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. The love, power, forgiveness, and grace of God are only available through Jesus. But, Here's the the, the amazing thing on this is where is that going? If it's only available in Jesus and we put our faith in Jesus, where is that headed? See, Paul tells us because Christ will unite heaven and earth. He will unite heaven and earth. Listen to what he says. He says that this is a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Let's go back to that idea of abundance. You see, God isn't just like, hey, we need to get them into heaven. Okay, well, we're good. Okay. Oh, no. He, he says, look, I want a united physical and spiritual existence for all of eternity that's going to involve my people, and it will be centered around my son, Jesus Christ, and the kingdom of God will last for all eternity, and heaven and earth are going to be united for all eternity. See, right now, heaven and earth you not united. We can't see heaven, right? We can't see it. We know it's there, but we can't see it. We can't experience it in, in you know that sense of my senses. I can't see it, I can't touch it, I can't feel it, I can't hear it with my ears. I have to walk by faith, not by sight. But when this is over, faith and sight will merge into one. Isn't that amazing? Faith and sight will merge into one. You see, God's plan for this goes through all of time and into eternity. As before, God was and is thinking about more than right now. God has always been thinking big picture all of time in a kingdom that unites the physical with the spiritual through Jesus Christ. In the Garden of Eden, God would come to earth and commune with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. Heaven and earth united The spiritual and the physical together, existing together in peace and blessing. This was before sin entered the world, though. After the world fell into sin, humanity, what, lost contact with God. Humanity had to begin to call upon the name of the Lord. What does that mean? That meant there was distance. They had to put their faith in God. They had to to call on His name because they didn't have His presence anymore. That is going to change. Distance was the norm. But in the end, God's kingdom will remove that distance and heaven and earth will once again be united. And we read in Revelation with a garden, the tree of life, and the nations united under Christ's lordship. This is where this is going. Listen to Revelation 21, 22 through 27. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is The Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of the Lord gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. The image of the gates never shutting. That the physical will commune with the spiritual in a constant basis, day by day by day, that God will be present and the glory of the kings of the earth, of all races of earth, will unite under the banner of Christ. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nation, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Are we reaching higher yet? See, God has given us such excessive grace that He wants us to see. Look, it's not just about you being forgiven. It's about you being a part of a kingdom that is going to last for all eternity. I haven't just forgiven you. I'm going to glorify you one day. And I'm going to turn you into something you won't even recognize. And it's going to be glorious in the kings of the earth. And you're going to be a part of this city of God where heaven and earth are combined. And you will have a role in my kingdom for all eternity. That's what we're serving right now. That's who you are right now. You see, God started with the end in mind. Why? Because Paul already said, before the foundation of the world, this happened. And God is bringing his plan to fulfillment. The nations united, a new heaven and a new earth, all united by the Lamb who was slain and was raised Lord of all. This is the excessive grace that God has lavished upon us. To Him be the glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. God, help us to live each day with the knowledge of the grace that you have lavished upon us with the end in mind each day, God, that we're not just serving to get through life, God. We are serving your kingdom that will never end. God, help us to live as those who will know you. And Father, we pray, Lord, that we would know each other, God, that we would love each other the way you have called us to because we are members of the same kingdom because we are brothers and sisters in christ and may we never forget the cost that we have redemption through your blood lord jesus god as we take this lord's supper together in a moment god i pray that that is what we remember that the price was the innocent and holy blood of the son of god That we were sold as slaves to sin, but you redeemed us and forgave us all our trespasses and sins. And that you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. So God, help us to remember and to know the price so that we can appreciate and walk in the grace that you have given us. Lord, it's in Jesus' holy name we pray together.